0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Inventing the Future podcast, where our mission is to inspire and empower entrepreneurs to solve the world's biggest problems. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Chance Specknell. And I actually met Chance in a book club of a community called Abundance Digital, And by the way, I want to emphasize that as a point on just finding the communities in which you can find like-minded people, because that's really where you can find the best connections, where you can learn from and collaborate with others. So book clubs are a great place for that. And Chance and I have learned a lot from being in that community together. So with Chance today, we'll be going over his company Axiom. And a brief outline for the conversation today is that I'll start off with a little intro on Chance we'll go into what axiom is, what they do, explore the problem space that they're trying to solve and then dive a little deeper into the solution for axiom and then finally go into some startup and entrepreneurial lessons that Chance has learned along the way. So cool. Does that sound good? How are you doing today, Chance? Welcome on to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Julian. Uh, I tell you it's I'm humbled, I'm honored and more than anything else I'm excited to see where this conversation goes, and I love what you're trying to do. I've listened to every one of your podcasts, and I think you're brilliant. I think you're a blessing to the entrepreneurial world, and anything I can do to help, again, I'm really excited.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that chance. means a lot. Yeah, I'm always excited where any conversation can go, because that's the beauty of life, is the spontaneity in which direction things can go and. So awesome. Let's start off. I'll start briefly with a quick bio on Chance, get to know him a little better, and then we'll dive further into his journey and axiom. So Chance graduated with a bachelor's of science in business administration and with a major in management from the University of Louisiana Lafayette. And he's a native to New Orleans. He has 30 plus years of experience in management and executive leadership and has 25 plus years experience in senior care, which is what Axiom is based upon. And he is, of course, also a business owner. So Chance has worked with senior care communities in over 13 states across the country. That's his bread and butter. And currently Chance sits as the CEO and owner of Axiom Health Services, and has had this position for over eight years now. And apart from that, Chance is an adamant reader and searcher of wisdom, which I can attest to because I've met him at a book club. He's a searcher of knowledge and truth. When he's not working, he spends his free time with his wife, Samantha, and two kids, Andy and Trishan. And apart from that, he likes to saddle up and ride mountain bikes all over the country and rock climbing. So I love that. You got to balance all the great stuff out. Cool, Chance. So yeah, great bio and I'd love to start off just with the why question. I'm curious, you're the CEO of Axiom. Why did you decide you wanted to become a CEO? And I ask this because I know it's not easy, as I'm sure you know as well. We could have easily settled for an easier job, easier position. So what was it about becoming a CEO that really drew your attention and led you to be on this path?
1: Julian, I wish I could say that on this date, In this place, at this time in my history, there was some major epiphany that all of a sudden I knew that I wanted to one day grow up and be a CEO. It really didn't happen that way. In my experience, it's been a bit of a process or a journey. I knew I liked leadership and management principles, and so I've been in some type of leadership role my entire career. And what I noticed, especially looking back, At each proverbial rung in the quote-unquote leadership ladder, I noticed some things. And one was, could I rise to the level of that challenge? And then later in my career, when the next rung, can I rise to that challenge? And I was very curious about that, especially as it related to my capacity to grow and reach whatever my potential is. And so that's always been a motivating factor for me for my career. and. More importantly than any of those things, though, at each rung, what really drove me was this notion, wow, I mean, I now have the opportunity to potentially and positively affect more people in a meaningful way. And that really has been the underpin, the fuel, if you will, driving my career, the gift, the humbled opportunity to potentially and hopefully positively affect more and more people.
0: I love that. It's very powerful what we're capable of getting ourselves to do when our purpose is on a higher level, right? On wanting to serve as many people as possible. And I think when that's your North Star, I feel the same way. It's like, how can I put myself in a position where I'm continually increasing the scope of my impact? and Sounds like that purpose to serve on a greater level is really what uh, led you to becoming the CEO and continuing to ascend.
1: Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that, what's also interesting, and I'm not sure if this is an aha for me or not, but if I look back, my career has taken a few twists and turns. But what I've noticed is the sandboxes that I've played in in my leadership career have changed. But some of those principles have always been there driving me. And so the first sandbox that I applied these principles was in the hospitality business and running restaurants. And there's an opportunity there to make difference in people's lives. But I wanted an opportunity to do something bigger. And so that led me into senior health care. And now, as we get later in the podcast and some of the other questions I'm beginning to ask myself the question, what's the right sandboxes for me to be playing in to apply these principles of how can I be the most helpful to the most number of people? And what's crazy is that life does not shy from presenting lots of opportunities to do so.
0: I love that. And I love how you said beginning to ask the question of what sandboxes, because I think those questions are so fundamental that we need to constantly be asking ourselves what is that sandbox where am I going to play because we can only really play in one sandbox at a time and there's so many we could play in so if you constantly ask yourself that you're opening your mind to opportunities that could help you scale that impact so love that very interesting way to look at things cool chance so thanks for that quick intro let's dive into axiom so Just quickly getting started here, how would you describe Axiom, what you guys do, and what the higher level mission is of why you do what you do?
1: So, the what of Axiom is we're in the senior healthcare space, and our portfolio consists of the Axiom company, which is the service part of the organization, the back office accounting and operational support, and financial and clinical support. So, we have the Axiom entity. And it works with 14 of our facilities in the senior healthcare space. And those product lines include high end skilled nursing and rehab facilities, very high end assisted living facilities. There's a particular product line in the state of Kansas that's unique to Kansas called the Home Plus. Uh, Think a 12 bed house for seniors who need additional assistance. And we also have senior behavioral health hospitals in our portfolio. We have about a thousand employees and our annual revenues is in the 50 to $60 million a year. So kind of a mid-sized company. The where of the company is based out of Wichita, Kansas, but we have our footprints kind of in the Midwest. And more importantly, anything else, the why. Why do we do what we do? And our why, our purpose, our massive transformative purpose is To improve lives and exceed expectations. To improve lives and exceed expectations. And if you take the first letters of those four words, it forms the acronym ILE. And so it's been a very powerful North Star for us because it becomes very applicable in a lot of circumstances. And we can discuss that later as we get into some of the other categories. So that's kind of the what, the where, and the why. Cool. No,
0: I love that. No, and I always think it's so fascinating to look at a mission, and almost kind of question its formation and how it came to about and how it's lived. So yeah, maybe that's something we can dive into. But I think that's something very important for the audience to kind of question constantly on how they can define a purpose that really helps guide the entire organization. Let's do a quick 30 seconds to a minute on like, where does that vision come from and how is it lived out? I think that's interesting.
1: Yeah. And so we believe these things are internal and they have to be discovered. They have to be revealed and not necessarily just randomly chosen. And so very early in the history of our organization, we wanted inspiration to figure out our how and our why and so we actually went and spent time with tony shade the ceo of zappos so we went to las vegas i know it was hard but we went to las vegas and spent several days with his leadership team and through his leadership team's coaching we were able to discover and articulate our why and so there's lots of resources out on the market to help a young organization ask the right questions to probe what is your why, and there's no more important question than answering that for a young entrepreneur in order to set their company on the right path.
0: And really quick on that, is there one or two questions that stood out to you that would be helpful for people to think about in discovering that purpose, or if it's a whole process, or do you have any resources you would recommend for that?
1: The one resource that I would recommend that comes to mind, and it's a very timely question, and that is Stephen Collard just put out a brand new book called The Art of Impossible. And it is very systematic on a process that he vouches for that helps individuals figure out their purpose, their MTP. And so- I could never do it justice. And so I would recommend that resource. I think that would be very helpful for any new entrepreneur trying to discover their why.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And MTP is massively transformative purpose. And it's important to discover not only the purpose for yourself, but for your organization. And the value of figuring out what that MTP is for yourself is that it more clearly gives you a direction as to whether... The company that you're founding or the company that you want to join is in alignment with your personal MTP. So all of that alignment, it helps to maximize your level of passion and ambition towards something.
1: Yeah. One other quick thing. And so Axiom's purpose is to improve life and exceed expectation, I leave for short. And my personal MTP is Servium, get up show up, lift up. So this notion of I will serve, servium, and to be even more clear is that I will get up and I will lift up. I will serve as my personal MTP and it really aligns very nicely with the company's MTP as well.
0: I love that. Yeah, no, it's very evident that service is very core to who you are and what Axiom does as a company. Like when I was reading through Axiom, one of the things that stood out is that you went from Axiom management to Axiom service, right? You shifted the company's mindset from that of management to service. And I'm sure that has been a key contributor to the success of the company. And it's also true to who you are as a human. And one additional footnote mention here for the audience is that service is so important because when you serve others, you're serving yourself in the process. And it's that process in which helps you grow as an individual, helps you live a more fulfilling life. And in the end, the more you grow, the more you have to give, the more you're able to serve. So it's all a cycle that feeds on itself. that it is very powerful.
1: Yeah, there's an enormous amount of work out there about self-compassion. Self, empathy. We all have narratives in our mind, the Woody Allen, the inner critic that's going 90 to nothing. And that narrative is normally driven by survival instincts in that has evolved in our history of humanity. And so it's vigilantly looking for where is the next threat. And that narrative is often very negative towards self. And so, self doubt, limiting self beliefs are often generated in the narrative in our head. And the beautiful thing is that we're not the narrative. We can take the narrative and put it out here and we can observe it and we can ask, is that narrative serving me? And if the answer is yes, then we celebrate. But if the answer is no, we can rewrite the narrative. And if we can rewrite the narrative in a way that's Compassionate towards ourselves. What I have found is that it increases our capacity to serve others.
0: Wow, that's super interesting. Yeah, because if something serves you, it'll help you become better, which helps you serve others. And if something serves you, it's likely to serve others as well. So, wow, yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about service. Cool. I love this. This is core to who you are and your company's mission, and it shows. I would like to explore the problem space a little bit. Related to Axiom. So you told us a little bit about what you do, but how would you describe the problem that you're trying to solve? And I'm sure it's changed over time and you can probably touch on that. But yeah, what is the problem at large? And then we can go into how you're solving it more profoundly.
1: Yeah. So I've given this question a lot of thought. And in order for me to be able to communicate in the most concise way possible, it really boils down to three things. And so the first problem is more of a historical problem looking back in our history of the company. And so when the company was formed, the problem that we were trying to solve is how do we provide high quality, world-class quality for seniors in the disease management and sick care space? which has historically been very institutionalized. So how do we provide high quality, world-class service for seniors in a non-institutional setting? And some additional things that make solving that problem more difficult is the senior healthcare profession is extremely difficult and challenging in and of itself. So there's reimbursement constraints in our space because most of reimbursements for senior healthcare companies are government funding, Medicare, Medicaid. It's the second most regulated profession in the country other than nuclear power plants. And so you're really constrained on what you can and can't do regulation-wise. There's epic staffing crises in the healthcare space today most markets are hugely overbedded so the supply and demand's way out of whack and then to make things even worse it's one of the most capital intensive professions you know if you want to go build a building expand your portfolio you either have to spend untold millions of dollars to build something new or millions of dollars to acquire something so it's a very capital intensive market and we talked about sandboxes earlier. I will tell you that this space, senior healthcare spaces, it's not always a fun sandbox to play in. So that leads me into the second problem space, and that is, what's the future of our organization potentially look like? And what other sandboxes might we want to also play in? And so leading into 2020, we created a 2020 and beyond vision. This was even pre-COVID. And some things that we knew at our core is one we wanted to figure out how do we expand ilee 10 times not just 10% but 10 times how do we transform into an exponential organization and then we knew part of the sandbox that we wanted to play in is we wanted to be in the not just management of diseases and sick care for seniors, but we want it to be in the opposite end of the spectrum. And that is we want it to be in the vitality business and the lifespan and health span business. And we know that we want to be as a subset, either vitality of the mind, vitality of the body, or vitality of giving a person an increased sense of meaning and purpose. And so how do you take An organization like Axiom, which is the third problem. So we have our core business, which one could say now is almost like a legacy business. We're 12 years old and we're entrenched. And so how do you take a core business and transform it at the same time into an edge business, an exponential business? So how do you balance that? So those are three things historically, what we tried to solve, future, what we tried to solve. And then how do you balance the two during the process? Three massive problems.
0: Yeah, man, that's massive. And one thing to point out here is that I can tell you're making the conscious effort to disrupt yourself because you have your legacy business, which is working really well. But it's evident that you see that the future, as it relates to health, has more to do with healthcare than it does with sick care, which is what you're currently doing with the nursing homes. So the core concept here is that if you don't disrupt yourself, someone else will disrupt you. And so that's what I think you're aiming for, right?
1: Yeah, it's, we've seen lessons of the past, Blockbuster, and Netflix, the story of Kodak. And so there's so many stories of core companies like mine, legacy companies, if you will, that are just so set in their ways, they're not willing to look at alternate ways of doing business. And when it's all said and done, if we do what we're trying to do perfectly, then there's a real chance that we will cannibalize the existing business because hopefully in some vision of the future, people will not need to be congregated in centralized buildings for senior care, even if those buildings are architecturally beautiful. And so We're trying to go where we think the puck is going, not to where it is or where it has been.
0: I love that. And one last thing I want to double click on here in the problem space is what does it mean to make the transition from sick care to health care? Like what's the difference and what's kind of the problem here with the sick care and the way health care has traditionally worked?
1: There's a lot of people a lot smarter than me that could probably give you much more profound answers. I think at the core is what does the individual person really want? And so I'm pretty convinced that what the average person does not want is to be sick or diseased, right? And if they are sick or diseased, they would prefer not to be in a centralized facility. Again, no matter how beautiful. And so we think the future of healthcare is prevention and wellness to the nth degree. And we also think it's in the home. And so it's away from institutionalized congregations, centralized, we group people who have similar diseases and illnesses and sicknesses to where we get better at helping prevent some of that. And we do that in the home. And that to me is a fundamental difference I know I as a human being, I want the one and not the other. And so I don't think I'm unique in that. I think there's a universal desire for the one and not the other. And so to me, that's the biggest difference.
0: Gotcha, I love that. Yeah, and the way I've heard it described as well is that traditionally you don't go to a hospital or go see a doctor until you feel sick, until something's wrong. But the problem with that is that sometimes it might be too late. The disease might have already advanced too much. There's not much you can do about it. So that's why they call it sick care, because you go get care after you're already sick. But healthcare has to do more with prevention. How can you have a vitality, right? Like your three types of vitality of mind of body and of also of purpose. So the goal here is how can we basically ensure the vitality of individuals to prevent sickness. And that maybe you go to a doctor to learn how you can be healthier, not you don't go there. And because you're sick, and you need help. So that's kind of the idea. And I love how you're playing towards that direction, because I think that's where we need to go. And that's the future. And where all of the potential lies as it relates to healthcare.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. And one of the major constraints that's in the way of that progress, and I think over time it will be solved, is the reimbursement philosophy that's in place in the United States. There's lots of incentives for practitioners to be in the disease management business, to be in the sick care, because that's where the incentives and the reimbursement is. And so, as there's a growing consciousness about humanity's desire to be much more preventative and investing in that. Eventually, it's my hope that our politicians will change the reimbursement to incentivize the one and not the other. And because until they do so, it's going to be really difficult to have a a massive transition across the country.
0: Yeah. No, it's so hard to make the changes you need if you don't have the right incentives in place. So hopefully that's something that the government goes on board, similar to how they have with green energy over time, building those incentive structures to promote the change. Awesome. So Chan's cool. Very interesting to learn about the problem. I'd like to go a little deeper into a solution and how you're solving these different problems. So I know you mentioned three different main problems. Feel free to pick whichever solution or approach you're currently taking that you think is most interesting and how that's solving the problem that you described?
1: Yeah, so I'll touch on each of them quickly and then you can double click on whatever one you want. So historically, there's like four elements that we implemented to solve those problems. The first is one of the founders, Fred Hermes, is by trade in architecture. He created an innovative designed for a senior healthcare facility that instead of having, like for 80 beds, two long hallways of 40 beds each, and there's 20 residents on one side, and there's 20 residents on the other side, and it's duplicated on both sides, he created pods or neighborhoods or homes where those 80 patients now would be one of 20 distinct neighborhoods or pods. And when you walked into this space, it looked like a large home. And so it's very home-like. That has been huge. We know that that strategy worked because it has been duplicated by almost everybody in the market since we first introduced it over a decade ago. The other things that we've done for the world-class quality piece of the problem is we talked about purpose and its significance in driving because this profession is hard and you need a purpose to keep you on point. The third thing is culture. I really believe culture is really, really important, even more important than strategy. And, And I'll just mention, we have four elements of our culture at the highest level, and that's entrepreneurial. And so all of the leaders at every one of our buildings, we tell them, we want you to run it like you own it, like it was your money, your investment, your employees, your customers. So we have a very entrepreneurial culture. And then we also try to infuse The three major motivations that science has proven time and time again, is that is autonomy, mastery, and giving employees an individual sense of purpose. And so, entrepreneurship, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And then the fourth thing, historically, is we've had multiple different operating models that helps clarify what's strategically important and how do you make sure using those models that there is alignment. So those are the four things historically. Future, we're solving the problem by first. Perspective, expanding, training. And so we've had to expand our perspective like way the hell out, outside of our little sandbox. And so how do we do that? So our organization has gotten involved in some pretty nifty communities. You mentioned some of them earlier. So the first is Peter Diamandis's Abundance Community. The second is Salim Ishmael's Exponential Community community. A third is Steven Kotler. And I'm not exactly sure why he does not like the word community. And so his group is called the Flow Research Collective. And so me and my organization are involved in all of these. And then the fourth person that I think is worth mentioning is a guy by the name of Peter Krohn, CRO, and he's kind of a personal growth person. And so we had to expand our perspectives. And so we've done that through these communities. Second, we are learning and applying lean startup principles in playbooks, and we're doing that in partnership with a company called Untapped, which is an expert in – they're an innovation studio, and they're an expert in the lean startup principles, which we are not, and so we're partnering with them to learn those concepts, and we're beginning to start betting what are the problems in the new sandbox that we might want to solve. And so here's one that we're really wrestling with that I think you might find interesting. And how do we provide healthcare employers like us, how do we help their staff with healthy coping mechanisms, very important, tied to this epidemic of compassion fatigue and empathy burnout? And so our solution, we think, has something to do with mental toughness. So how can we bring a mental toughness model that's geared to help healthcare workers better deal with compassion fatigue and empathy burnout? And so our goal under this second challenge about the future is to launch a handful of companies over the next 12 to 18 months, like something regarding mental toughness. And then the third challenge, which is the core versus the edge we've adopted something called a polarity mapping model, which is how do you manage and balance two equally but important things at the same time? And I'll leave it there and let you go wherever you want with any of that.
0: Very interesting. I love the unique list of a lot of these approaches. And one thing I'll quickly point out is that for these problems, it's really interesting to know how so much of the solution has to do with how you're managing things internally, right? Because the way in which you're operating and the culture of the company and the principles, the entrepreneurial principles with which you operate are in turn what result in the solutions that you give to your end users and customers. So I think many times we think that the solution is external and sure it may be external, but I think it really starts and grows from within. And the systems that you have in place internally are what's going to end up helping you Increase your capability to solve these problems and challenges. So, I love that that's a huge focus.
1: Yeah. So, if you take a culture of like entrepreneurial spirit and there's autonomy and you're investing in your employees so that they have a sense of, man, I'm pretty damn good at what I do, I have some bit of mastery. And then you also sprinkle in training and techniques and tools on how do we get better at creativity and innovation, you put all those in a sandbox and you start throwing questions and problems in the mix, pretty damn amazing what can come out sometimes.
0: When you create the right space and environment and culture, that really creates a right state of mind for those brilliant ideas to come out. I love what Steve Jobs says. He's like, we hire smart people so that they can tell us what to do. And when you create an environment for them to actually thrive, then really they're the ones that are going to collectively drive the vision and the execution of the company forward. So I love that. Let me touch on this really quick, Chance. I mean, it sounds like you're starting a lot of different companies, as you mentioned, and there's like different directions to go in with what you're currently doing, the legacy side, but also with the vitality space. So I'm curious from a vision perspective, if Axiom was to achieve its ultimate goal destiny, like if it got to the point where it fulfilled its vision, what do you think the world would look like?
1: Yeah, what a profound question. I'm humble enough to know that we'll probably never get there, but it shows a whole hell of a lot of fun taking the journey. And if we could somehow make a dent, more and more people's sense of vitality, that instead of waking up And asking themselves how the hell am I gonna survive the day? How can we replace that with what the hell's possible today? If we could have some small part in quote unquote setting more people free from the constraints of that narrative that we talked about earlier? Oh wow, I mean the ripple effect, the cascading effect of that is just endless. It's almost too humbling to even contemplate the potential of that ripple effect. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: no, I love that. And it's a very concise and beautiful vision because it's literally, it consists of taking people from scarcity to abundance. It's taking people from a survival state of mind to a state of mind in which you're thriving, right? They're no longer surviving, they're thriving. And that's in which, when you're no longer worried about how you're gonna get by or what's going on, And you instead focus on the possibility, as you mentioned, then that's where all of the opportunities come into your awareness. And you start to see light and abundance where others see scarcity. And yeah, I love that because that's really, I think, one of the biggest mindsets and lifestyle shifts that you could experience as a human.
1: And what's interesting, Julian, is that there are a lot of companies that are offering a lot of solutions towards the higher parts of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because that's where typically uh, larger margins are. That's where the money is, right? And listen, more power to them. I think humanity, no matter where they are in the hierarchy of needs, any upward movement by anyone, anywhere on the hierarchy is good. And so I applaud it. And so there's no judgment on my part. I just think, in my personal opinion, that there is huge unmet needs tied to companies targeting the individuals on the lower part of the hierarchy of needs. Again, there's countless people around the world, not to mention just in the country of the United States, who have unbelievable suffering just trying to figure out how to survive the day. And they don't have tons of resources. They can't spend hundreds of dollars on products or services, but their life is just a grind. And if we could come up with cost-effective solutions that maybe help move them up just a little to the next rung, and then maybe there's another solution there. And so it's almost like trying to provide a lifeline. And so that's kind of the grand vision in my head. The higher we can pull more people up, the more options that they have, the higher they go. And so we want to provide a lifeline as far down on the hierarchy of needs as humanly possible.
0: Oh, man, I love that so much. I never considered thinking about the solution and what part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that solution and what you're trying to do fits into. And you're right. Most people, most solutions and companies fit more on the higher end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the thing is that, sure, the people at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs may not have as much money or may not be as profitable, but it's important to consider that's where the grand majority of people live around the world. Most people are in the very bottom pillar just trying to get by day to day because it's the same with my startup, right? I want to help low-income workers find a better job. And sure, they may not have the most money, but that's where most of them are And for me, one of the things that pains me the most is to live a life with so much privilege and opportunity and realizing that there's millions, billions of people that don't have the same opportunities that I have and have dreams, the same dreams that I may have, but they just don't have the opportunities, the mindsets, the tools, the wisdom, whatever it is to be able to achieve that. So thank you for focusing on the people on the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think more people are needed in that space, because that's where most people are crying for help. So I love that chance.
1: Well, thank you, it, it really fuels me for sure. It's definitely a sandbox that I wanna be in and I would be remiss as a sidebar, uh, a little while ago I kinda of gave some credit and kudos to Peter Diminis and Steven Kotler and Peter Krohn and Salim. I'd be remiss if I didn't also give some kudos to Scott Barry Kaufman, He recently released his newest book called Transcendence, and he spends a lot of time talking about Maslow and the hierarchy of needs, and he's got a fresh perspective on a reinterpretation of some of that, and that has been very helpful in forming some of my perspectives, and I could not recommend him or his book enough to your audience.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that recommendation. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. And I'm also excited to check it out myself. So I love that. Cool chance. So we have a couple of minutes, but I quickly want to touch on a bit of uh, entrepreneurial lessons here as part of this last segment. So you talked a lot about how culture is such a fundamental part of Axiom. And when I was looking into Axiom with the resources you sent me, it really seems that most of the changes that you made when you took on the position of CEO, were cultural changes, right? Like, as I remember it, Axiom, the legacy company had found like a great avenue, a great idea, and they found that it was working. In other words, they went from zero to one. They found product market fit. And now they wanted to scale that, to go from one to N. And they brought you on board. And one of the changes that you made is the culture of the company. So I'm curious if you could, Talk for a minute about culture, its importance, maybe what are the pitfalls of getting it wrong. And probably more importantly, from a practical standpoint, let's say you have a new company, I start a new company. How do I even approach building the culture of the company? How do I think about that?
1: Yeah, wow. Why don't you just ask me an easy question, won't you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for our company, if I look back in my history and look at the work we did on culture, we took a pretty big gamble. Traditional healthcare companies have a very systematic hierarchical command and control. The direction and the authority definitely comes from on high. And by the time it eventually gets down to the grassroots where the work is really being done, that approach, in my opinion, violates The motivating factors that drive human behavior, including the employees, and that is a sense of autonomy. I mean, I don't need to be told what to do, but why don't you trust me that I instinctively know what the right thing to do is and I will do it? So that sense of autonomy. And instead of telling me what to do, why don't you share what the purpose is and the why and the vision so that maybe I can attract, I can attach to that and use that. To drive me because I want to be something, a part of something bigger than myself. So at the core of my culture, our culture way back in the beginning was, how do we change the culture from command and control to one of service? And so we had the mantra at the time, we serve you, the facilities succeed. And if you're not succeeding, then we're not serving correctly or effectively. We serve, you succeed. And I think that that culture shift. From command and control to true service was one of the driving forces behind our success. And your question about entrepreneurs who are kind of getting into the game now, how do you approach this topic of culture? Yeah, those same three things come to mind. How do we create a culture that creates autonomy from our employees? That they're free to experiment and to be their best selves, to be human, to be flawed. How do we make sure that whatever skills that they're responsible for doing that we invest so they can become masters at what they do? That's probably an important piece. And how do we discover and uncover what motivates them? What's their person? How do we make sure we double click and support their purpose? If we do those three things well, my experience is that you'll have a pretty phenomenal culture.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think with that last point of figuring out what the purpose is, it's like, if you can figure out why they want to serve, why they want to give, then you're able to more strongly embed that into the culture of the company. But I love those high level ideas. It's really important to keep them in mind because that helps guide how the mission is going to be a higher level derivative. Those actions and behaviors you want the culture to really act out, and it's also a manner for the values to be created, like ownership, or whatever values you think are important. That's where they really enact themselves on a daily basis within the culture. So, love that. Cool. One last question here on entrepreneurial lessons. I want to quickly touch on uh, something you mentioned behind an exponential organization. So this is a concept from Salim, and I'm curious just to learn what is an exponential organization and how do you build one? Why is it important to have one?
1: Yeah, quickly, an exponential organization by its definition is an organization that's 10 times better than its peers in the same space. And it's a completely different way of doing business. It's a completely new business model. It has at the top an MTP for the company, and then it has 10 attributes. We can't go into the details now, but there's five attributes that are internally driven for the company, and then there's five attributes that are externally driven. And Salim has a book and a workbook out under the title Exponential Organizations. Maybe you can link that in the notes as well. Those are really, really, really great Resources And what he did is he looked over the last decade or so at these successful uniformed companies and figured out what's their secret sauce, what allowed them to be so nimble and agile and so successful. And he captured all of that in his attributes in the model. And so we've been students of, of his work for quite some time. We're fumbling as we learn this stuff it's a completely different way to do business compared to what we have done which is the fallacy that if we invest millions and build it they will come that's powerful
0: yeah salim has a great book on that i'll link that and by the way this isn't just for big companies like chances this can be also as well for startups and the important thing about culture is that if you get it wrong in the beginning it's really hard to like shift it it's kind of like you're turning a huge Titanic ship, like 180 degrees, it can be done, but it's really, really, really freaking hard. So if you can get a good culture from the beginning and design it in a proper way, that's invaluable. And the concept of exponential organizations, I think, helps you get that right from the beginning.
1: In addition to that, I've mentioned some names and some resources. The other Huge help, I think, for an entrepreneur trying to get started is these lean startup principles. And I would recommend Ash Maya, M A U R A, is an author of a couple of books, Ash, A S H, tied to lean startups. And those principles have been very, very helpful for us. That's what Untapped, our partner, is helping teach us. And so between lean startup and exponential principles put together, They're very, very powerful, and I couldn't recommend it to your audience, both of those highly enough.
0: Awesome. I'll be sure to reference those, and I appreciate the shout out on the resources. Cool, Chen. So this has been awesome. One final question before we close up here, just kind of wrapping it all together. I'm curious for you, what has being a CEO in its glorifying and agonizing moments taught you about life, not just business, but life? How has that experience changed the way that you look at the world?
1: Uh, Three things come to mind. First is humility. Yeah, the journey is hard, but it's definitely a journey well worth taking. And you never arrive. It's not like you wake up one morning, like, you know, conquer the world. There's nothing else to do. So it's a never-ending journey, and it has helped increase my sense of humility. The second thing is the sense of awe. I am just dumbstruck time and time again about the basic human goodness and the basic potential of humanity. I'm amazed almost at every turn at what we're capable of. So all would be the second thing. And the last thing would be courage and to have courage, to not be afraid to love the courage, to love boldly. That would be the third thing that comes to mind.
0: Those are all invaluable lessons. Awesome, Chance. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insights, and for telling us about Axiom and what the amazing work that you guys are doing there. So, cool. With that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. And yeah, I'll go ahead and include links to connect with Chance and for Axiom in the show notes. But yeah, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey guys, three quick footnotes here before closing off. So the first is, did you enjoy the topics discussed in this episode? Well, I invite you to join the Slack community for this podcast where we'll keep the conversation going by engaging in discussions related to the episodes discussed in this podcast. Here, you'll be able to engage in conversations with me and other listeners. And if you really enjoy this podcast, it is likely that you would relate well with other listeners that also enjoy the podcast. In this community, you'll be able to meet, engage, learn from, and potentially collaborate with the like-minded entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Let's invent the future together. The second quick note is... If you are interested in receiving updates on new episodes, I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. And in this newsletter, I'll also share notes, insights, wisdom, tools, and strategies that are designed to help you become a better entrepreneur and live a healthier, fulfilling, and more productive life. And finally, the Last footnote is that you can follow us on social media accounts to get updates on new episodes and engage with invaluable content related to entrepreneurship. And also, we have a website now. You can go to inventingthefuture.ai for detailed show notes on all the episodes. So, the links for joining the Slack community, subscribing to the newsletter, the social media accounts, and the website can all be found in the show notes for this episode. So with that, I would like to wish you a day, week, year, and life filled with an abundance of love, energy, and prosperity. Take care and stay infinite, my friends.